Well, I want to welcome you to First Methodist Mansfield. My name is David, and I serve as one of the pastors here. And especially if you're a first-time guest with us in any of our worship venues this weekend, uh, I want to say a word of welcome to you. Hope you've already experienced that as you've uh, come into worship today. Uh, we are in the final week of a series that we started several weeks ago uh, called What's Next? And the ushers are passing out for you right now a handout that I wanted to give to you because there's some things I want you to write down this weekend, uh, some things I want you to capture, and I want you to take home with you, uh, if you want to stick this in your Bible and keep it there, some things about who we are as a family of faith, uh, and also where we are going. Those are the things that you see on that handout there. And I want to start on the side that says who we are. So if you just turn there, uh, if you were here last week, the first stuff that you see listed there should sound familiar to you. Those are the three things that I share with you last week about why we exist as, as a family of faith. So we talked about the engine of our church, the passion of our church is really found in these three statements, things that I have experienced in you and in serving as one of your pastors for 10 years, but also three things that, that, that reflect how I see my own life of faith and, and our life together, that we are a church that believes every person matters to God, that following Jesus is the best way to live, and we want people to live lives that matter. That's the heartbeat of who we are. We want people to, to live lives that matter. And, and I added there some of the scripture references that we looked at last weekend, as well as a few others. You can go back and look at those. Uh, and if you missed that, I'd love for you to listen to the message last weekend where we talked in more depth about the why of our church. But what I want to do is I want to walk through the why, the what, and the how and, and when we're done with that, here's what you're going to have. On one sheet of paper, you're going to have why we exist, what we do, and how we believe lives are transformed. And, and I want you to have that in, in just that one sheet of paper that you can keep to remember this is what my church is about. This is why we exist. This is what we do. And this is how we believe lives are transformed. So we've talked about the why. If you jump down to the what, I want you to write down this statement. This should be familiar to you if you're a regular around here. Making disciples of Jesus Christ. That is what we do. Now you see there the scripture reference Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20. This is often referred to as the great commission. This is what Jesus offers to his disciples at the end of the gospel of Matthew, the instructions that he gives to them. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded to you. So from this why, from this engine, this passion that we have that drives everything that we do, this is what we do. We're about making disciples of Jesus Christ. And there's two words I want you to write underneath there that I hope will add some meaning to you as you think about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. The first word I want you to write down is the word following. And the second word I want you to write down is the word formation. So these are two words that you're going to hear both Pastor Mike and myself use more in the future to, again, articulate for you what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It's following and it's formation. So you've, if you've heard me talk about discipleship before, you've probably heard that word following. I use it a lot. I talk about being a follower of Jesus who helps others follow Jesus. I think following is a good word because it reminds us that there is a way that we are meant to live in this world as a, as a disciple of Jesus. There's a way that Jesus teaches us to live, and our task, our job when we say yes to Jesus is to follow that way. 
But what I want you to think about is that being a disciple of Jesus is about more than simply following the instructions that Jesus gives you on how to live your life. That at some point in your life, the goal is that you would be formed in such a way that you are doing more than just following the instructions, but that your heart and life has actually experienced a formation where you are united with Christ in such a way that you are living the life he wants you to live as a natural expression of all that you do. Now, let me explain it for you this way. We were, we were talking this week about Pastor Tina's daughter. You may not know this, but Pastor Tina's daughter uh, is a senior in high school, and she is just about the greatest young woman you can ever imagine, a, a young woman becoming uh, at 17, 18 years old. I mean, she is just a rock star follower of Jesus. She works in our children's ministry all the time. I mean, this is, this is the kid that we all want to have, that you wanted to have. I don't know if he did or not, but, but she, that's just who she is. She is just an amazing young woman of faith. And so we were talking about, about Parker, and, and, and certainly part of the reason that Parker is who she is today is because she learned to follow the instructions of her parents. Now, your kid may not do that as, as well as Parker did. I don't know. But, but, but she learned to follow the instructions that her, that her parents set for her. But next year, she's going to go to college. And when she goes to college, it is not Tina's expectation or her husband Gene's expectation that she is going to need to call home to make every decision that she needs to make when she is there away from home making important decisions as she enters into that, that freshman year of college. Why not? Why will she not need to call? Why will she not need help on every single thing? Well, the reason is because her inward heart and life has experienced a formation she has become, become something within herself that gives her the understanding, the wisdom, and the heart to know what is wise and what is not wise to do as a college-age freshman. Now, some of you didn't have that, but Parker does, right? Because she has experienced that formation. Now, 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 don't misunderstand here. The goal is not for us to be formed in such a way that we don't need Jesus anymore. That's not what I'm saying. But to be formed in such a way where the Spirit's presence and power is so alive within us that it is the guiding force in our life. It is leading the desires of our life. And the decisions that we make are naturally in line with the Spirit's guidance because of the intimacy that we now have with Jesus and His Spirit at work within us. So it's more than just following the instructions it is also about experiencing an inward formation over the course of your walking with Jesus that literally changes your habits and your behaviors and the way that you think. Now, really critical question that we should all ask, because hopefully you hear that and you go, well, that sounds like, that sounds good. I want that to happen for me. I want to experience that in my life. But here's the question. How does that happen? How does transformation actually occur? And, and here's what I'd like you to write down. It happens in three categories of your life as you engage in three uh, practice, categories of practices in your life. The category of loving God, loving others, and serving the world. Loving God, loving others, and serving the world. Now, if you put those two statements together, hopefully that's familiar to you. That's our mission statement, making disciples of Jesus Christ who will love God, love others, and serve the world. Here's what I want you to understand. We believe that loving God, loving others, and serving the world 
is how lives are transformed. So let me, let me uh, speak to you about it in this way. Let's, let's just imagine that you come to my office this week and you say, Pastor David, I have a New Year's resolution that I need some help with. I'm, I'm seeking out some wisdom from some different sources, but I have, I have this resolution. I really want this to come true in my life for the course of this new year. And this is my resolution. At the end of the year, I want to have a deeper commitment to Jesus than I have today. Let's just say that that's your New Year's resolution, that, that that's what you've set down, that's what, that's what I want to have happen in my life, that at the end of this year, I will, live, I will have a deeper commitment to Jesus than at the beginning of this year. And, and here's what I'd say. Well, this is how we believe lives, lives are transformed. They are transformed as you engage in practices where you love God, love others, and serve the world. And you might say, okay, well, I've heard you talk about that, and that's a mission statement. It's on the wall everywhere. We, we hear it all the time. But what does that mean? How do I practically do that in my life. And here's what I'd say. In the category of loving God, here's two things that you can do. The, the first thing that you can do is you can grab your calendar, whether it's an electronic calendar or a paper calendar. And what I want you to do is I want you to go through week by week by week and put on your calendar when you're going to be in worship at that particular week. Now, if you have an electronic calendar, it's really easy. You just, you just pick your worship time, you put it on the calendar, you click repeat weekly, and when it says, when do you want to end this, you just say never. That's what you do, and, and it just propagates over and over and over again. It'll always be there. A paper calendar, it, it'll take a little bit more work, but when, when, when worship attendance moves from, well, it's convenient for me this week, to I'm committed to it because I want to grow in my love for God, that will change your life. That will absolutely change your life. Here's the second thing you could do. Take the first 15 minutes of your day, every single day, and give those 15 minutes to God. Read the Bible, invest in GPS, find some sort of other devotional resource, engage in prayer, whatever it looks like, but give the first 15 minutes of your day to God. Do those two things, and your life is going to be changed. And while you may need to lose 10 pounds and get better in the financial area, I mean, there may be some other resolutions that you have that are really good. Those are the ones that will change your heart and change your life. In the category of loving others, I would say find a group, find a community, find some place where you can know other people and you can be known by them. Join a Sunday school class, join a small group, come to celebrate recovery, do a step study. There are many, many different ways that you can be a part of a group, a community like that, but find some sort of consistent, regular gathering of people that you can be a part of where you are sharing life with them. You are not only knowing what they're going through in their life, but you are allowing them to know you and what you are going through in your life. In the category of, of serving the world, find some sort of place where you can put your faith in action, where you can practice your desire to serve others as Christ has served you. You invest in those three things, those three categories, whatever those practices are that you choose to, and your life will change. I guarantee it. That's how we believe lives are transformed. So again, you look at this. This is why we exist. This is what we do. This is how we believe lives are transformed. So go ahead and flip that over, and we're going to move to part two. 
I want to talk about where we're going. And you see there at the top of that section some scripture from Ephesians chapter 5. I want to give you a little bit of context before I read to you uh, these words. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. And he's writing to them as people who have already surrendered their life to Jesus, people who want to do great things for Jesus, and they're trying to figure out, just like you and I, what's next. They're trying to figure out what else they need to be doing, what's next for them in their life together, and Paul is addressing that with them. So if you want to see the broader context, you can go back and read Ephesians 4, verse 17, through chapter 5, verse 20. This whole section is Paul speaking to them about what's next, the things that they need to do. And here's what I want you to think about before I read you these verses. These people were living in a very different time than us. They were living in a very different context from us. This is, this is first century world, very different from our world. If we went back in time to their world, we'd think, wow, this is really, really strange. If they came to our time, they'd say, wow, this is really, really strange. There are many things that are different about those who first received these words. But here's what I want you to know is similar between the original recipients and, and for you and I as well. These are people who have surrendered their life to Jesus, which I know many of you have. These are people who want to do great things for Jesus, which I know reflects the desire of many of you. And these are people who want to know what's next. What else do we need to do? What's the, what's the next thing for us in our individual life? And what's the next thing in our life together? Here, here's what Paul says. He says, verse 15, Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will really is. Now, my guess is when you hear that, there's a particular word that jumps out at you a little bit. Like if you were dozing there for just a moment, like you heard a word and you're like, whoa, okay, I probably should listen to that because that's a, that's a big word. That's a word that when you hear it in scripture, you're like, okay, I need to figure out what he's talking about here. Paul uses the word evil. Like, it's a bad word, right? Like, again, wake up. Evil. He says, the days are evil. And you may first, at first think, well, there must have been something going on in Ephesus at this time. Like, maybe Mardi Gras started there. I don't know. It's sad. You know, the days are evil. Maybe he's talking about a specific event in Ephesus at that time. But when you look at the context, Paul isn't talking about an event. Paul is talking about the reality of a follower of Jesus living in this world. He's talking about the world that the, uh, the Ephesian Christians lived in, and he's talking about the world that you and I live in. And he says the days are evil, so be wise so that you can make the most of every opportunity. So though there are many things that are different about our world today than the world of these first century Christians, there are many things that we look at and go, well, that's strange, and they look at our life and they'd say, that's strange. We're just like them. We're people who have surrendered our life to Jesus. We're trying to figure out what's next for us. We're trying to do great things for God. And here's what Paul says. Be wise, because the days that you are living in are evil. So here's two key thoughts that I think Paul is expressing to the Ephesian Christians and to us. The first is this, that this world that I live in does not encourage the faith that I trust in. This world that I live in does not encourage the faith that I trust in. And, and here's what I'm going to guess here. I'm going to assume this, that if you have for any length of time 
tried to live your life as a disciple of Jesus, you have experienced some level of tension between the faith that you trust in and the world that you live in. If you haven't, you're doing something wrong, by the way, okay? It should be there because the world that we live in does not encourage the faith that I trust in. Now, is Paul saying that we should then abandon the world because the world does not encourage the faith that I trust in? No, I think that would be a misinterpretation of what Paul is saying here. What he is saying instead is you have to live with wisdom so that you can first make the most of every opportunity and know what the Lord's will is. So the world that I live in does not encourage the faith that I trust in. The second thought is this. There is wisdom in knowing the days in which I live. There is wisdom in knowing the days in which I live. So if we as a family of faith together are going to look at the question of what's next, to to begin to identify where we are going, what Paul is saying is this, you must understand the days in which you are living. You must have a clear, unbiased, unfiltered view of the world that you live in and the community in which you serve if you're going to have the wisdom to know the opportunities that are before you and God's will for your life. So here's the question. What is the reality of First United Methodist Church in Mansfield, Texas in January 2015? What's the reality of this church in this world, in this community? Who are we? How should we see ourselves? How should we see the community that we live in, the world that we are called to bless, and the community that we long to serve? I want to give you one sentence that's fairly long, but I want to invite you to write the entire thing down. Here's the first thing I want you to write down, that we are a significant church. We are a significant church. If you were here on January 11th when we all came together and Pastor Mike shared with you, he reiterated this over and over and over again. The reason that we are being so intentional in talking about what is next is because we are a significant church. That is not a statement that I share with you for the purpose of boasting about who we are, but rather simply for us to recognize the blessings that we have received and the responsibilities that come with those blessings. We are a significant church. We are a church that has tremendous strength, not only in terms of leadership and generosity, but people and faithfulness, incredible ways that this church has strength. We are a significant church. You attend, if you're a regular attender here, you attend one of the top 25 United Methodist churches in the entire nation here in Mansfield, Texas. You are a significant church. That's the first thing I want you to know. You're a significant church that is serving, second, a growing community. You are serving a growing community. If we were in a different community, this reality might be very different. We might, uh, you, you could be a church, a significant church, serving in a regressing community, a community that is dying, but that is not the reality of the community in which we live in. I could give you lots of demographics, and I could bring up the economic development director and the school district and the city. I could give you all those types of figures, but all I want to tell you is this, that you can ask anyone in our community leadership what's happening in our community, and they'll say, it's still growing. And some would even say that this community is on the cusp of another major boom 
in terms of people moving to the Mansfield area, uh, growth in, in our community. That's the reality of the community that we serve. And so what that means is that if we're a church that's going to be faithful to what we're called to do, we're going to expect that this church is going to continue to grow. When I came here 10 years ago, our worship attendance was about 1,000 people less than it is today. So when we look 10 years ahead, is it realistic to assume that there could be 1,000 more people in worship on, on, on a weekend? That's a realistic expectation. Does that mean that that's going to be our only stated goal, that we just want to add 1,000 people? No, but it is an understanding that if we're going to serve a growing community, and if we're going to be faithful to what, what God has called us to do, then growth is going to be a good problem that we will have to address. It's a problem. It's a good problem. It's, but it's one that we will have to address. We're a significant church serving in a growing community in a radically changing world. In a radically changing world. And again, we could talk about all different ways that this is true, but my guess is you feel that. You sense that in your life, that we are living in a radically changing world. We are living in a complex, often confusing world. And the change that we are experiencing in our world, while there are components of it that might excite us, there are many more that give us anxiety and fear and worry. Just turn on the TV. I promise you'll hear it. We're living in a radically changing world where people often feel like the ground on which they have developed and built their life is shaking and moving, and it isn't the same that it used to be. And so there is this, this corporate shared anxiety that is a part, a part of all of our lives. We're living in a radically changing world. We're serving a growing community. We are a significant church, but here's the last thing. We are living in a radically changing world in which the Christian faith is increasingly seen as irrelevant. Christian faith is increasingly seen as irrelevant. Now, this is the part where we, we have to be honest with ourselves, and we have to take off the glasses that, that may want us to see the world differently, but to recognize that we're living in a world in which the Christian faith is increasingly seen as irrelevant, particularly with younger generations. Now, the challenge that the church faces, don't misunderstand this, the challenge that we face isn't making Jesus relevant. That's not our job. The gospel was never meant to be transmitted that way. The, 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 what's next is not dressing up Jesus so that people think, oh, well, maybe he's cool. That, that's not what we're doing here. The challenge isn't to make Jesus relevant, but the challenge is to engage the world in such a way that Jesus can be seen and experienced in disciples who are serving him each and every day. And from there, here, here's, what's, here's where any, any sort of responsibility or, or fear we might, we might bear, we can just kind of let that go. Here, here's what's great about this. From that point forward, Jesus takes the lead. He takes care of the rest. When people live out an expression of devotion to him, Jesus is seen and Jesus is experienced. And the relevance of Jesus is the good news that he brings to people as it is shared with, with those who are following him each and every day. Several years ago, it was uh, actually the fall of 2012, Pastor Mike began to share with you a, a new phrase to express a vision for this church, the phrase, in the city for the city. It started as a stewardship campaign. That was a four-week series. We talked about being a church that was in the city for the city. 
Alongside that, we did a series called 24-7-365. We talked about what does it look like to live your life as a follower of Jesus 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. After that, we did a series on Jonah. And if you know the story of Jonah, Jonah rejects the call that, that God has given him to serve a particular community. And we talked about that, that God has called us to serve this community. And, and we don't want to go the way of Jonah. We want to be those who will be faithful to serving this community. Here's what I want you to know and I want you to understand. That vision and that push and that drive that we invited you to, to walk alongside with us, that was a direct response to this reality. That was a direct response to the recognition that we are a significant church living in a growing community in a radically changing world in which the Christian faith is often seen as irrelevant a desire that we express to move beyond a church that would simply just be for itself about building the church to being a church that would instead be focused on building the community. And in that interaction, in that exchange with people who may know nothing about the faith, that, that they might experience Jesus in those who have left the boundaries of a campus, the boundaries of a worship space, to be a church that seeks to bless the city. Let me show you a couple examples of that. The first is something that happened here Friday night. I'll show you a few pictures uh, from our Ponder block party. Ponder is an elementary school that is located just down the road from here. Several years ago, we started a mentoring program in Ponder, and from there, we've, we've just simply had our eyes and ears open for what we could do to bless this school and to, and to bless the kids and the families that, that are a part of, of that school, in part because those families are those who live in our neighborhood. And we wanted to be a blessing to them. And so if you don't know, Ponder just rebuilt their school and they moved back to the neighborhood. And so we had a block party to welcome them back to the neighborhood. We threw a party for someone else. We opened up the doors and said, please come in. We had people go door to door in, in this local neighborhood and just say, please come. And, and we had six, 700 people, many of whom had never set foot on this campus who were here for a great night of fun. There was, uh, there was dancers from the school. We had some of our children's ministry staff lead them in, in some dance. It was a tremendous, tremendous night. It is a reflection of the reality that we're a significant church, that we are located in a growing community in a radically changing world in which Christianity is often seen as irrelevant. And part of our task and our calling is to be those people of faith who leave the boundaries of the life that is comfortable to bless others, to, to allow them to experience Jesus. There is a capacity that this church has that not every church has. And because of that capacity, there is for us, hear this word carefully, an opportunity. And here that word is a direct expression of the text that I just read to you from Ephesians 5. There is an opportunity that this church has that other churches may not have to be a church that is not simply about building the church, but a church that can be about building the community. One more example of that. Many of you know the Wesley Mission Center, which is located here on our campus. You may know that that grew out of this church family. It started uh, in a Sunday school class as a mission to the community. And over the course of, of decades, it has grown to a tremendous ministry here in our community. And several years ago, the leaders of that ministry and that organization sensed that God was calling the Mission Center to become something bigger than it could be 
under the ownership of First Methodist Church Mansfield. So for decades, it was our ministry. It was, it was an expression of our desire to bless our local community, and the Wesley Mission Center functioned as that. It was an outreach ministry of First Methodist Church Mansfield. But, but the leaders of that began to pray and to sense that God was calling it to be something more, to develop a new relationship with other churches and other faith-based organizations in our community, and perhaps become something more than it could ever be if it was just the, a ministry of First Methodist Church Mansfield. Field. And here's what we did. Here's what you did. It wasn't a group of pastors or a group of leaders or just a few people who got together and made a decision. Our church voted on this. We voted to essentially set the mission center free to be what God has called it to be. To take our name off of it, in a sense, so that it could grow to be a ministry that could reach the least, the last, and the lost, could do things in this community that it could not do before because of relationships that it could establish with donors and other things that it could do in our community that it couldn't do as just a ministry of First Methodist Mansfield. We made a decision to say, this is not just going to be about building our church. We want this to bless the community as much as it can. The Mission Center just finished their first year of being their own separate 501c3. And at the beginning of that year, the, the leaders of that set goals for themselves that they would tell you they, they thought were crazy. I mean, they were audacious, crazy goals in terms of, of, of donors, uh, dollars received through donations, uh, sales through the thrift store, programs that are offered, support that was offered to individuals. And here's what happened after the first year. Every single one of those goals, they blew it out of the water. It has expanded in tremendous ways because this community of faith said, this thing can't just be about us. It's got to be about something more. One of the uh, new programs that they've been uh, able to offer to people, one that you know a lot about, uh, you may have taken it here in the church, is a program called Financial Peace that they offer to people who find themselves in, in money issues. There's a letter that I have here from a lady named Barbara who had come to the Mission Center for many years to, uh, to seek help. And uh, in the course of coming back in this last year, they said, we'd really like you to take this Financial Peace class. And she said the same thing that most of you say when you think about Financial Peace. I don't need that class. But she agreed to take it, and she sent this letter to express her appreciation for, for the class and for what it had done for her and her life. She closes her letter in this way. She says, thank you so much for the help and the boost I needed to become an independent person. Someone who doesn't need to come back to the mission center in two months or three months or six months, but someone who has established themselves in such a way that they can then live out God's dreams for their life. And here's what I want you to understand. Because this church made a decision to look at this from the perspective of the kingdom and not just the perspective of our church, there are more people like her who are being served in our community and whose lives are being set free. So here's what I want you to understand as you think about the opportunity of the days in which we live, that we are going to be guided by a vision that is not just about ourselves, but about intentionally making kingdom-sized investments that help build a better world, not only here in our local community, but around the world. What would it be for this church to say that in the next 10 years, we want to send 10 people into ordained ministry? 
We want to train and equip 10 young people who are going to go serve 10 other churches and maybe 10 other churches beyond that to replicate what we have learned, what it means to be a church that is in the city for the city, that is living in, such, in, in the world that we live in today, making Christianity relevant, not by the way in which we lead worship, but the way in which we bless our local community. What would it look like for a church to say, we want to send into our community and into our world young people who are trained to be leaders in the marketplace, who are going to go into uh, companies and other organizations and, and live there as an authentic, real follower of Jesus so that in a world where Christianity is often seen as irrelevant, people can experience Jesus in the life of that person who's been formed and shaped in such a way that they're living for him. This church is going to have the opportunity to partner with other faith communities in the next decade of our life. I don't know what that looks like, but because we are a significant church and there are other churches who are trying to deal with the reality of the world that we're living in and are not doing as well as they should, we're going to have the opportunity to partner with those churches and partner with those other faith communities to do things that we never thought were possible, planting new faith communities. Do you know that when people leave this church and they go to different parts of the world, this is a reality that we haven't really figured out how to deal with, but many of them continue their relationship here with First Methodist Mansfield through online worship. Now, what does that look like in this new world? I'm not sure. But because of the way the world is radically changing and because of technology, we have the possibility, we, we have the, the capacity, we have the opportunity to plant churches all around the world of people who are making a difference in the world. And our task as a significant church is going to be to say yes. That's the opportunity that we're going to have to do things that make a difference that are kingdom-sized investments, not just about what we're doing here, but about what God is doing in the world. That's the opportunity. Here's the challenge. If being a disciple of Jesus is about learning to swim against the current, then one of the things that this church has to recognize is that the current moving in the opposite direction of faith in Jesus is flowing stronger today than it has at any other point in any of our lifetimes. You hear that? The current that is flowing in the opposite direction is flowing stronger today than it has at any other point in any of our lifetimes. So here's what that means for what's next. This is the challenge for us, that we are going to be more intentional about the process of formation, of not only inviting people to follow Jesus, but helping you be formed in such a way that the Spirit comes alive in you. And your life is not only changed for a moment or a week or a month or a year, but you begin to live as Jesus has called you to live as a natural expression of the desires of your heart because of how the Spirit is alive in you. With people who are entering into the life of our church, we're going to be more intentional about telling them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This handout that you just had that I did really, really quickly, this is the start of a class that we're going to kick off in February called Starting Point for everyone who wants to join this church. We're going to do more than just say, hey, you want to join the church? Fill out the form. We're going to invite them to go to a class and talk about why we exist, what we do, and how lives are changed, and then help connect them with the resources and the practices they need to see that transformation happen in their life. We're going to be more strategic in our teaching that we share each and every weekend. If formation is our goal, we're going to ask ourselves the question, what topics need to be addressed? And how might we need to transition the way that we teach or the way that we practice together in worship so that we can be formed in such a way 
that we live closer in line with what Jesus would call us to live. We're going to provide new resources and learning opportunities. Many of you know uh, this book, The Good and Beautiful God, that I love. James Bryan Smith wrote this book. I'm excited that he's coming this fall uh, for a conference. And if you don't do anything else this year, I want you to be there for that 24-hour period because I believe listening to him and hearing him talk about formation is going to change your life. I want you to be a part of that. Those are some of the things that we're going to do. We're going to have a higher level of mutual accountability with one another. In other words, I'm going to be more clear with you about how lives are changed and asking you the question, are you investing in that? Are you making worship? Are you making worship a commitment in your life or is it just a convenience? Are you giving God time every single day? Are you investing yourself in a community? Have you done something in the last year that is a faith in action activity? Have you served the homeless? Have you been on a mission trip? Have you served in the Wesley Mission Center? Have you taught a Sunday school class? Have you done something where you were living your faith out in action? I I could tell you so much more, but I gotta stop at some point because I want you to come back next week and the week after that because here's what I want you to hear. Here's what I want you to hear. We have work to do. We have work to do. We are a significant church. And we are a significant church because people have come before us and built a community of faith that has the opportunity to do incredible things. But we're living in a world where Christianity is often seen as irrelevant, where where people are dealing with radical, constant change and searching for answers. And the question is this, are we going to seize that opportunity? Are we going to seize that opportunity? So I want to end with just asking you this one question. And I want to invite you, if, if, if you practice the first 15 of giving 15 minutes, or, or if you want to do it this next week, this can be a question that you can just wrestle with with me this week. The question is this, does God have your heart? Does God have your heart? And, and maybe in, in the next few days, as you, as you consider that question, you could simply ask, God, is there anything that I'm holding back? Is, is, there any, is there any part of my heart that is not fully surrendered? Do you, do you have everything? Does God have your heart? Is that your desire? Do you want to give God your heart? you want to give God everything? If that's the desire of your heart, or if tonight you would say, that, that's what I want it to be from now on, here's what I want you to do as we close in prayer. I want to invite you just to, to open your hands, palms up, and place them in your lap as we pray together as an expression of saying, God, you have my heart. I want you to have my heart, every single part of my heart, because I, I want to be a person who makes the most of every opportunity. I want, to, I want to engage not only my family, but my relationships in such a way that they can experience you. God, I want you to, I want you to have my heart. And let's pray together that God would lead us and, and, and help us to be a church that seizes the opportunity that God has placed before us. Let's pray together. Holy and loving God, help us in this moment here to feel the weight of responsibility that you have placed in our hands. The opportunities that lay before us and the challenges as well. Lord, we want to be faithful in our own lives, in the lives of our families, in the lives of this church family. We want to be faithful. And so teach us courage, Lord. Teach us bravery. Teach us to see ourselves, perhaps, Lord, in a way we we haven't seen ourselves before. And enable us to take the next step, whatever it might be, to opening up our heart 
opening up our life, giving all to you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.